Embrace God's Son, escape God's wrath. It's a very, very disturbing subject, the wrath of God. It's avoided by many, many people, I think increasingly in our day, even in pulpits across our country. The subject of the wrath of God is not very popular at all. Most don't want to talk about it, even think about it, but Paul did. He spoke about it under inspiration right here. Here it is in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Last week we looked at verse 17 in which we read about the righteousness of God being revealed. And here we're reading about the wrath of God being revealed. The two go together. You see, if we're not right about the way to be righteous with God, then we're going to be confronted with the wrath of God. It's just a fact. And many people dismiss the whole topic. You know, they would rather talk about a compassionate and patient God, a God with a forbearing spirit, a kind God, a God who is there to meet all our needs. They would rather speak about the love of God than the wrath of God. In fact, uh, just in the last few weeks, a major denomination in our land, the Presbyterian Church USA, PCUSA it's called, uh, they have a committee, it's called the Committee on Congregational Song. Well, they met and voted to exclude from their hymnal a really beautiful hymn entitled, In Christ Alone. And, and here's why. They, they were troubled by the last verse in the hymn, uh, which goes like this. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted it to be replaced so as to read this way, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. That's what they wanted. And to their credit, the, the lyricists, the author of the hymn, refused to change it. So the uh, committee, the song committee of the Presbyterian Church USA, decided to strike this hymn from their hymn book. They didn't like talk about the wrath of God. But folks... It's unavoidable. It's Scripture. We just read about it uh, in verse 18. The wrath of God is a reality. It, he's not a fly-off-the-handle kind of God like we are. He doesn't get angry in the sense in which we do, but his wrath is his holy response to sin and to sinners. And so you can see here, it says, "...for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven." Here it is, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But many would ask, how is it that the love of God can be made, can be harmonized with the wrath of God? Folks, how could it be that God would love what is right if he did not hate what is wrong? The two are very, very compatible concepts indeed. You see, God is right about sin. He hates it. He doesn't think it's a good thing to do. We are the ones who are wrong about sin. We don't hate it. We, we, we give in to it. We tolerate it. But a righteous and holy God, that is to say one who loves what is right, manifests his wrath, as it says, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Well, what is it that specifically will incur the wrath of God? Uh, the text says it is those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know, it is not possible to, uh, 
to avoid the truth of God, to eradicate or eliminate the truth of God. But it's very, very possible to suppress the truth of God uh, simply by living contrary to it. So, for instance, uh, we suppress God's truth about the sanctity of human life when we abort babies. We suppress God's truth about the sanctity of marriage when we redefine it to be a legitimate bond between two same-gender people. We suppress the truth of God about eternity and how much it matters when we live here as if this is all there is. So you see, it's possible not to eliminate God's truth, but not to change God's truth, but certainly to suppress it. And the text says, folks do in unrighteousness. And in this case, when that happens, it meets up with the wrath of God. But wait, what about those people around the world who never heard of the requirements of God, his values, his standards? What about people who have never heard the name of Jesus, who have never read a Bible, who do not possess a Bible, who don't know what a Bible is? How could they still be made subject to the wrath of God? Can they? Well, the answer is yes. Why? Well, look at verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So in truth, not everybody has access to a Bible. And in truth, not everybody has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that. But this verse seems to indicate that God has given evidence of a kind, evidence of himself to absolutely everybody, even apart from the Bible. And what is the source of that evidence? Well, look at verse 20 and we'll find out. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Do you believe that God always was? Yeah, me too. But though God always was, God was not always visible. God made himself visible through creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been made known, have been clearly seen. So God created the world as an avenue by which he would make visible his otherwise invisible attributes. Well, what can we possibly know about God through the natural order? For crying out loud, we could know that creation requires a creator. You don't think it just happened, do you? We can know for sure that the magnificent design of the natural world requires a designer. We can know for sure that that which is made requires a maker. What's more, when we observe the creation order in all of its diversity and magnificence and beauty, we could conclude, oh my goodness, the God behind it, whatever his name may be, is magnificent and worthy of praise and honor and thanksgiving. Look what he has done. 
We could look to the sun, the moon, and the stars. We could look to the constellation. We could look to the revolution of the planets. We could look to life through a microscope. We could look to reality through a telescope. We could look to ourselves somewhere in between the two and say, when we look to the complexity of what is in the natural order, oh my. This requires a supreme being, a being who has supremacy to all that which has been made. We can know that. We cannot know him personally, but we can know of him and render the right response to him so that even those of us who are not privy to a Bible and who have not yet heard of the name of Jesus Christ still are required to render the right response to this supreme being who is the only reasonable explanation for the world we see. Have you ever heard of something called the law of cause and effect? Every effect requires a cause. Folks, the great effect known as the cosmos, the world, requires a great causer. And the great cause of the great effect, which is the creation order, is almighty God. It just didn't happen. You don't have enough faith to believe things just happen by chance, do you? That is blind faith. Some people say the world began by matter. Matter was pre-existent. Not God. Matter was pre-existent. And somehow, in the oceans, eons ago, matter, elements of matter, just spontaneously, haphazardly, whimsically, by chance, came together. And what emanated from it all is the design which we call the world, and of which you and I are a part. And people buy into that today as if it makes any sense. Oh, no, don't you think God has a right to be disturbed with folks like that. Don't you think justifiably he can impose his wrath upon them because they are dismissing the evidence which faces them? Are you kidding? Inanimate objects cannot be the explanation for animate objects such as us. It requires a supreme being. What's made requires a maker. And so the Bible says, those who deny him are subject to his wrath, for they have rebelled against what has been clearly seen through what has been made. And what specifically do people subject to the wrath of God rebel against? Common sense. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Do you know that is not an intellectual problem? That is a moral problem. God said, you cannot know me. You cannot see me. I am transcendent deity. I have no beginning nor any end. I'm eternal and incorruptible. I will make myself known to you because I'm a God who desires relationship with creaturely beings. Therefore, my invisible attributes, my glory and greatness, the fact that all things are subject to me, my omnipotence, the fact that I can speak things into existence, you don't know a thing about that until I make it visible through what has been made. And I have. Look, let there be light. You have light. Let there be rain. You have rain. Look at the storm. Look at the ocean. Look at the mountains. Look at these things. You don't believe they just popped up out of the blue, do you? If so, your sin is your rebellion against sanctified 
common sense. And I think God would say, therein lies my justification for imposing upon you my wrath. Even though you don't have full specific revelation of my son, I've given you enough to draw near to me. It's called general revelation. It's a theological term, natural or general revelation, the revelation of God through creation. It's called general revelation because it is available generally to the entire populace of humankind. It's for every body, even those without a Bible, even those who have never heard yet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, based on general revelation, God says, his term's not mine, you are without excuse. But man has suppressed this truth about the existence and nature of God. And so we read in verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And these are the two responses that God is justified in requiring from everyone whom he has made in his image, that he be honored and that gratitude be shown. Folks, People dishonor God when they pay lip service to him. Some people refer to him as the big guy upstairs that dishonors God. Some people use the phrase, God is my co-pilot. No, they see he's the supreme being. <laughs> they dishonor God. Uh, 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 some people uh, dishonor God when they live in the environment of all that which God has made as if he doesn't exist. They dishonor God. People who know better and ought to honor the supreme being who is behind uh, the universe we occupy, some people act as if he's not even part of the equation of life. That is to dishonor God. Some people choose to do whatever seems right to them without consulting what is right from the point of view of the supreme being who is the grand designer of all that which is designed. That is to dishonor God. And some people live in God's world and receive full benefits of what he has provided. The sun shines on believer and non-believer alike. The rains fall on believer and non-believer alike. These are all elements in the natural order provided by a good and gracious God for the sustenance of humankind. And some of us have the audacity to live in God's world without expressing thanksgiving to him. Even though they knew God. No, God will not judge someone for what they don't know. But even though they knew God, how God? They don't have a Bible. They're not studying Romans. They heard, never heard of Jesus Christ. General revelation. My invisible attributes have been made known through the things which are made invisible so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks. Folks, 
God's wrath is not a fly-off-the-handle, moody, impulsive kind of a thing such as you and I are prone to. Oh, no, his is not blind rage. His is seeing anger that folks will occupy the space that he has made for our sustenance and productivity. Breathe the air that he has provided and act as if he doesn't exist. Act as if I am the master of my own destiny. If it feels good, I will do it. I'm answerable to no one. Don't fence me in. And live in God's universe without a lifestyle expressing thanksgiving for the God who is responsible for the very next breath we take. God says, don't tell me I have no justification for judging that person, even if that person has not yet heard of the name of my son nor does that person have my holy scriptures. There's enough in general revelation that that person has available by which that person can be held responsible for responding rightly to me. But instead of honoring and thanking God, people, the text says, became futile in their speculations. See that word speculations? It means in the original language, Greek, it means to dialogue with oneself. You know what God is saying? I spoke into your life through what has been made. You ignored it. You ignored the message I gave you, and instead, you're giving yourself your own message. You're in your own head. Your thoughts, one is confronting the other. And you're filling your mind. You're having a dialogue with yourself. You're telling yourself that which is contrary to what I have told you through what I have made. And what you're telling yourself is things just happened. There is no creator. Things just evolved. It just happened. Matter rules. Science is God. You're the master of your... You're having this... This is speculation. You're becoming futile in your speculation. I invaded your space-time space-time dimension. I got in your head, and you forced me out. I put in your head the reality of my existence and something of my invisible attributes. Do you have power like what I have? Do you have resources like what I have? Do you have creativity like what I have? Do you have a sense of aesthetic beauty like what I have? Look at the mosaic. Look at the colors out there. Look at the hues of the trees. Look at the color of the skies. Look at the clouds. Are you, can, can you do that? Those, are, those make visible my invisible attributes. And instead, you struck that from the record. You got inside your own head. And you supplied an alternative explanation for it all. And you said, there is no supreme being behind it. It just happened haphazardly by chance. You worship randomness. And I offered you a reason to believe in me. The person who says, I can't follow a God, the God of the Bible who's a God of wrath. That person doesn't know what he or she is saying. By the way, if that person really believed the God they're not willing to follow really is a God of wrath, they better get on their knees and beg forgiveness of the God of wrath they say they don't believe in. Folks, you cannot sever from the love of God the wrath of God. You cannot choose a characteristic of deity 
that meets with your approval and separate out the others. You can't say, I will have a God of love, but I will not have a God of wrath. You can't do that. A holy God is angry at sin and sinners. He, this is so foreign to us because we grade on a curve. We've already replaced the commandments with suggestions. We don't call sin, sin anymore. It's bad choices and mistakes. We have already redefined what's right, so now we don't know the difference between what's right and wrong. Not only do we not know the difference, when we see something as being wrong, we still give hearty approval of it. We are messed up. But God has it right. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. He doesn't compromise. You cannot sever the love of God from the wrath of God or vice versa. It's a package deal. So folks became futile in their speculation. And as a result of turning from light, the text says their foolish heart was darkened. By the way, the word heart means mind. Their minds were darkened. And that's why today you have, even from high positions, from people who ought to know better, the craziest moral judgments I have ever seen in my span of life here on planet Earth. It is just bizarre, bizarre to me. Some of the moral edicts and decisions that are being made from intelligent, well-educated, sophisticated people. But I, I can't account for it on the basis of intellectual deficit, but here's the answer. Because they chose to simply derive from their own thoughts what they feel is true and false, therefore, I gave them over. Because they refused the light which creation gives of me and my existence, I gave them over to the extent that their foolish heart, their mind was darkened darkened in their understanding. Folks, refusal to accept what is right about God destroys one's capacity to recognize ideas that are wrong. That's just the way it is. And verse 22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Someone said they became philosophers. <laughs> By the way, the word fool in Greek is morino. What does that sound like? That's where we get the word moron. So there's a biblical justification for being sarcastic, so, so I'm okay. God said they're morons. He does not mean, by the way, when the scriptures speak about this kind of, it's not speaking about intellectual deficit or someone who's educationally deprived. It's always a moral kind of a concept. They know better. I made it available to them. They struck from the record that which has been made clear. They disregarded the evidence because they don't want to honor me nor show gratitude for me. They would rather receive the glory themselves. And according to verse 23, this is terrible. They started exchanging things. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds 
and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. If you look to the verse, you see a descending, a declining voyage into darkness and degradation. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God, put themselves, their corruptible selves, uh, on the throne, then even steeped below to birds, four-footed animals, and even crawling creatures. A man uh, disregarding the evidence of the otherwise invisible God made visible through creation. Man who exchanged God has been given up by God to his own devices. And what did it lead him to? The worship of that which is corruptible rather than the incorruptible God. By incorruptible, it means God is not subject to disease, decay, deterioration, or death. They exchange the worship of that one, that incorruptible one, for the worship of an image of themselves, their corruptible selves. They exchange the worship of the God who exists outside of creation for those who are subject to creation. And today, folks, we don't worship, most of us, images of birds and four-footed animals and all the rest, but we surely worship an image of ourselves, the form of corruptible man. In fact, this, in my opinion, is the religion of our day. It's called humanism. Humanism. Take the word human, attach the suffix ism to it, and make a religion out of deifying humans. That's the way it is. So you get the mantra, believe in yourself. That's humanism. You can be anything you want to be. Humanism. Think your reality into existence. Speak your reality into humanism. Patting ourselves on the back. All kinds of award ceremonies. Deifying, uplifting the inherent virtue of humankind. This is humanism. And I think it's the one world religion uh, which is just around the corner. I think this will be the religion of Antichrist. And the seeds of it are already being planted. We love the notion that we can be all we can be. Discover the champion in yourself. We can pull it off. We don't have to make recourse for anyone. We could solve the world's problems. Hold hands. Kumbaya. Sing songs. Whatever the deal is, we can. We've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible, not subject to the throes of creation, not subject to the deterioration of time, not subject to the limitations of space. We've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible creator God for an image in the form of corruptible humankind, so frail, so fleeting. In an instant, a person's life could end, and we still keep ourselves on the throne as if we are not the problem to the, in the world today, we're the solution to it. We can do it. 
Pull it off. Believe in yourself. This is what we're teaching our kids in schools today. That is the worst thing in the world to do. Teach your children to believe in themselves. Let me tell you something. They better believe in somebody far bigger than they are. They better believe in the supreme being who created the world in which they live. And I hope you help them to see his name is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Folks, here is the ultimate indignity. Have you ever been treated uh, in a way such that you have felt uh, it, it, uh, as such an indignant, an insult? You've been insulted, you know, by someone, degraded, shown disrespect. We, well, we all have. It hurts. But here's the ultimate indignity. God creates humankind, and humankind chooses to worship himself instead of the God who created him. That is the ultimate indignity. The next time I'm offended by someone, I'm going to try to remember this. And I'm going to say, oh, God, I've experienced no offense the likes of which you have. God creates humankind in his own image. And in return, humankind, it's the great exchange, exchanges him for the worship of humankind. That is the ultimate indignity. Don't you see that God's wrath is justified, even with regard to one who's not yet been made privy to the contents of God's Word, the Scriptures, or to the Word enfleshed, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, folks, everyone is given general revelation, the evidence of God through creation. Some, in addition, have been given the privilege of receiving special revelation, general, special. Why special? Because it is not generally made available yet. It's specific to some who are quite privileged, like us. General revelation is the evidence of the designer, a supreme God, uh, a supreme being in what he has created. Special revelation is Scripture. Just about everyone here possesses one, surely has ready access to one. So you're in trouble because to whom much is given, much is required. You have, in addition to general revelation, you and I have special revelation. We have a record of God's redemptive plan. We even have the name of the Redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ. If God has a justifiable cause with regard to his wrath upon those who have rejected general revelation, how much more does he have a cause against those of us who, in addition to general revelation, also have the privilege of special revelation, namely, we've heard of Jesus Christ and what he have, has done to save. How much more? Does God have a cause against us? Could I beseech you, don't leave here, leaving God with a cause against you. What could you do about it? Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Maybe we'll get there one day. Romans chapter 5, sneak preview. Much more then, says Paul, having now been justified by his Who's, the, who's that a reference to? See, you know this. You have special revelation. But having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved, there it is, from the wrath of God 
through him. What's the name of the him? See, see, you have special revelation. Don't be so worried about the person on the other side of the world while you sit here tonight who doesn't know the name of Jesus. You do. What's your response? Look, look, look. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, his blood is the source of our right standing, our justification with God. Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved. From what? When you think about salvation, I'm saved. Are you saved? I'm saved. Well, you, you ever think about saved from what? Here it is. Saved from the wrath of God. How? Through good behavior, through human virtue, through good intention, through promises, through him. I beseech you. Now God has a cause against you if you leave him behind tonight. If you don't connect with him by faith tonight, you will have no, you will have no, you will, there's a case against you. It's not only the case based on the evidence from creation, it's the case given by this special revelation. One word, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. How? Through him. And if you say, but I reject him. Don't you see God has a justifiable case against you? Don't leave here, leaving God that case against you. Wouldn't you rather say, Lord Jesus, I accept your blood sacrifice for my sin. I also acknowledge you rose up from death. It's the resurrection. Living one, therefore, come into my life. Forgive my sin of which I have plenty. Cleanse me with the cleansing power of your blood. Oh, God. Because your father's wrath was put on your shoulders as you hung on that cruel cross. Oh, God, I believe I will be saved from the wrath of God to come because I've accepted the Savior. Folks, that is hugely important. Could, could I pray for you? Could you? Would you bow your head? Just Could we pray? Lord Jesus, this is so important. We, we pause now. We've spoken of you. Now we... We speak to you. Um, it's your heart's desire for everyone to be saved, for none to be lost. I just can't imagine everyone here is saved from your wrath through the blood of your beloved son in our place. And so for those who are not, oh God, in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you please, would you please come upon them, influence them, would you please stir them up so as to see how vulnerable, susceptible, guilty they are. How much they are deserving of your wrath. And oh God, I pray, would you please then impress upon that one, that two, that more, I don't know. That your justifiable wrath has been satisfied by you, Lord Jesus, taking on the form of man for the purpose of coming to suffer and die. In our place. Oh God, I pray. Both the lostness and vulnerability of some here tonight would give way to sheer and utter joy in seeing that your wrath, justifiable as it is, has been satisfied through the blood of the cross. Oh God, 
may you have no cause, no case against anyone in this place tonight. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.